Welcome to another episode of Reading the Bible Responsibly. In this episode, I'm going to continue to answer a question that was sent to me by Mark, one of our listeners. He's asking about two different flood stories and creation stories, and in general, the process of writing and editing, especially with regard to the first five books of the Bible. So in the last episode, we talked about authorship and inspiration, and we asked if Moses wrote every bit of the first five books of the Bible that we called the Law, Torah, or Pentateuch. And if others were involved, how does that inform our view of inspiration? And we said that there are at least a few parts of the Torah where it seems clear that Moses didn't write it, especially with regard to his death being written about as if it happened in the distant past. And we said that a named author is not always given in Scripture, but the lack of a named author and the acknowledgement even of later inspired compilers and editors doesn't deny inspiration of Scripture in any form. So with those broad principles in mind, let's turn our attention to Genesis specifically. There seems to be two creation accounts with their own perspectives and aims, and in addition, the flood story is interesting. So let's talk about what's going on with the different voices we seem to find in the Pentateuch. Let's start with the creation stories. It's pretty obvious that there's one self-contained story that begins in Genesis 1-1 and wraps with these words in 2-3. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So that verse wraps the day-by-day scheme nicely that we read in the first chapter of Genesis. Then we get this in chapter 2, verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. And so that phrase introduces a new section in Scripture. In fact, the phrase, this is the account of, tends to delineate the sections in Genesis. You see it throughout the book. There's lots to say about the stories in Genesis 1 and 2, but I want to focus on one section that sort of illustrates what we're getting at here. Genesis 2, verses 5 through 7. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But... Streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Okay, hang on a second. So I learned the days of creation song like some of you might have, and plants came first. But here it says no shrub or plant is on the scene, but we're jumping straight to creating the man, which says we've typically learned our order of creation from Genesis chapter 1, and it makes sense because that's the more orderly account. Now there's some translations that in the next verse, where it says the Lord God planted a garden, they'll translate it the Lord God had planted a garden, like he's already done that before we get to creating the man. But that word is normally translated planted, and we should leave it as such. After creating the man, the Lord God planted a garden. So what do we do then with these details? I think we can say that they're two different stories with two different aims. One is chronological and orderly. That would be chapter one. And then chapter two is more thematic. In both stories, humans are the most important. In the first story, humans are important because they're the pinnacle. They're the last thing created. In the second story, they're first on the list, which confers a place of honor. But notice also there are two different writing styles. In the first story, chapter one, Your English Bibles will just use the word God because that story just uses Elohim, which is the generic word for any kind of deity. Other cultures would use it as well. In chapter 2, you're going to notice the phrase Lord God start to show up. That's Yahweh Elohim. That's the specific name for Israel's God, which is first revealed at a burning bush to Moses in Exodus 3.14. So last time we discussed the possibility that multiple inspired individuals were involved with the writing and editing of the Pentateuch. 
Here, it's fair to wonder if there were two inspired authors who have given us two amazing and complementary portraits of God and God's creative work. But this is not just a Genesis 1 and 2 issue. Let's talk about the flood. So Genesis 1 and 2 are two separate stories that have stayed separate with their own identifiable beginnings and ends. But the flood story might have had originally two separate sources, but they're woven together. So imagine like your hands clasping and folding together. and So the order is a finger from your left hand and a finger from your right and then back to your left. Or imagine a zipper where two sides come together and mesh. Let's read Genesis 7, 11 through 13. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. These are three different verses that seem to be merging together. Verse 11 starts out on the 17th day of the second month. But then go over to verse 12, a broad statement about rain falling 40 days and nights. And then back to 13, on that very day. In fact, if you pulled verse 12 out of this, the story would still flow fine. It would just say, in the 600th year of Noah's life, on the such and such day, the springs burst forth. And on that very day, Noah and his family entered the ark. If you want to see the flood story that you read in Genesis as this sort of zipper-merged story with multiple inspired sources that have put together to create the complete account, just check a link in the show notes and you can see the verse-by-verse breakdown. Broadly, scholars believe that there might have been at least four primary sources for what we now know as the Pentateuch. They call this the documentary hypothesis, and you can read more about that in another link in the show notes. But they think there are four different sources. They identify them by the letters J, E, D, and P. And again, you can read the article to see why they use those letters. But they break them down because they seem to have different areas of focus. They use different names for God. We talked about that in the Genesis story. But we can still look at that and think it's inspired authors and editors. What we know from history is that it's possible that the Pentateuch was finally codified in the form we know it, during Ezra's reform period. King Cyrus of Persia wanted his conquered peoples to put their laws together in a codified form, and it helped Israel too because it was a way to say, hey, we're compiling these things. Here are the instructions you need to follow if you don't want a repeat of Babylon. Now, to be fair, this theory is rejected by some for different reasons. Some reject the theory because they believe the Bible demands full mosaic authorship of the Pentateuch. And others reject it because they just don't think this exact conclusion is supported, though this second group is not opposed to the general idea that others besides Moses were involved in the Pentateuch. I'm learning more and more of the importance of avoiding battles that are unnecessary. And fighting battles over exact authorship, while everyone agrees on inspiration, seems unnecessary. I don't know who wrote Hebrews, but I believe God inspired its contents. I don't know who wrote the books of Chronicles, but I believe God inspired the contents. And I don't know who all wrote and edited the Pentateuch. I believe Moses was heavily involved. So were others. And overall, I believe God inspired its contents. Thank you for listening to this. If you have questions or concerns about this particular episode or the one before and you're curious about more of the history or you want to ask more about what this means for inspiration, certainly reach out and contact me. I know when I first heard these things, I had to process it for a while. 
and you probably do too. So let me know how I can help. If you have some questions or topics you'd like to see us address on the podcast, I do hope you will reach out and let me know. One way to contact me is just to send an email to josh at joshkincaid.com, and I would love to hear from you and see what you might be interested in. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.